You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Welcome to Writing Black. We are so thrilled this week to have a history maker in our midst, and that is Bakari Sellers, who, in addition to being a political powerhouse in this country and uh, a very, very well-known attorney, is also an author. And uh, Bakari, I'm, I'm really, I'm fascinated by this. You know, I think a lot of us, you know, got to know your story through your bestseller, My Vanishing Country. Um, you came back this year with something maybe a little less expected. I know a lot has happened in the intervening years since that bestseller, <laughs> among other things. And you wrote this awesome children's book, Who Are Your People? Um, and I got to say, just right off the bat, uh, I love the title of this book because I think, you know, obviously it speaks so much to who we are as a people and how we speak to each other. Um, but... What was the genesis of this book? Like, why did you want to uh, delve into children's work this time around? Well, first, thank you for having me. Um, this is an Our awesome pleasure. opportunity. And, um, you know, it's not a lot of uh, black male children's book authors. Um, and so whenever we get that space, opportunity, and platform, I'm extremely grateful for it. Um, you know, uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. My, my twins were the reason that Who Are Your People came into fruition because respectfully, I was tired of my, um, you know, when you go, when you, when you first have babies, you go look for uh, books and cartoons, et cetera. And I was tired of blue and purple people. I wanted them to be able to have something where they, they could experience the richness of their history, learn as much as possible and see themselves in the imagery. And it just happens, so happens that because they did is the author, they literally get a chance to see themselves on the pages of the book. And so... Um, you know, it's, it was a very difficult genre to break into. Um, I oftentimes joke, but there is a, a great deal of honesty in that joke that I had to um, become a New York Times bestselling author before I was allowed to write a children's book. Um, but I'm, I'm excited about it and look forward to the next one. When they ask you, where are you from? You are from a land where the soil is dark and matches the richness of your skin, where cotton and sugarcane were strongly rooted and match your strength and determination. You know, I love that you actually touched on that because I think there is kind of a general misconception that somehow writing a children's book is easier or that breaking into that market is easier. Um, you know, uh, I, I spoke to Jason Reynolds once about this, um, you know, well-known black YA author. And he, his stance is that, you know, he, he chooses to write for children because he's like, they're the best audience to write for. But there is this, like, why do you think people think that's so easy? I think, you know, I, I think they see this, you know, thin little volume and they see the pictures and they're like, oh, this should be so easy. But I, um, there is a lot of, in addition to the gatekeeping of just publishing itself, um, it is a very specific genre. So do you mind like sharing a little bit about exactly how challenging it was. I mean, you know, <laughs> your naturally known name, you would think people would be, you know, clamoring to have your name on these books. <laughs> so first, it's, it's, it's not an easy book to write. I know people are like, it's 32 pages. I don't know how many words, but it ain't that many words by comparison. Um, and, you know, everything from picking an illustrator, because you want to have an illustrator whose vision matches yours. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the book because of the history that I'm talking about, the type of book it is, I tried to write it with, with a rhythm. Um, and then you have to remember that, you know, you got to leave your, all your degrees at the front door because you want to speak like you're educated to young folk. Um, yes. You don't want to dumb it down, but you also have to remember your audience is four to eight year olds. Um, and so it becomes somewhat difficult and challenging. And then the illustration process takes eight months to crank out. 
and you go back and forth about what those pages mean, what your words mean, and try to bring them to to life. Um, there aren't many black illustrators. Um, there there aren't many black male illustrators. There aren't many black um, authors, children's book authors. There aren't many black male children's book authors. Um, and so I was just thankful that Harper Kids reached out to me while we were having success on Mother Nation Country and asked that I have an interest in this. And of course, I was like, I've been trying to do this. I really want to do this. Um, and then you just begin the process of of going out. And, you know, it's, it, the similarities are like My Vanishing Country. That book had to do well so that other black authors would get a chance. And I'm grateful that Who Are Your People did well so that other black authors would get a chance. Yeah. And we do want to shout out your illustrator, Reggie Brown, because this is it's beautiful. It is a beautiful book. It's, it's a really lovely, lush warm and friendly <laughs> book to look at. And I think, you know, it gives, it, it, it really, um, illustrators don't get enough uh, props in this, <laughs> in this industry either. Um, I love that you, uh, drew that parallel, you know, you drew it in terms of publishing, uh, you know, the process of my vanishing country, but there's also, at least to me, um, some parallels here in the messaging because, you know, my vanishing country retracing your own steps, you know, um, as a South Carolina native, your own legacy, your uh, the history of activism that runs in your family. And this and again, it kind of also answers that question. Who are your people? And um, did you see it as a as a as a kind of through line or, or was this were you approaching this totally fresh no, and new? No, I actually took themes and ideas from uh, my vanishing country and and it is who are your people. I mean, with the, mm -hmm. like, like I say, when you're in the South, I mean, that's the first question you ask somebody, like, yeah. who are your people, right? And where are you from? When you meet someone for the first time, they might ask, who are your people and where are you from? Um, but also one of the overarching themes in, um, in who are your people is that, you know, we're a product of the proverb, it takes a village to raise a child and trying mm -hmm. to um, rekindle that village, you know, um, it's just a um, direct through lines between each book, piggybacking off of one another. And if if someone was able to get something out of my vanishing country, I'm hopeful their children or young people in their village will be able to get something out of who are your people. Um, I mean, I don't I don't see how they could not. Um, and and by the way, you know, I love that you said that is the first thing you say down here down in the south. I don't live in the South. I live in Chicago, but we consider ourselves up South because of <laughs> all the migration, migration from Mississippi. Yes. That's the first thing we, we say to who are you people, where are you going, where are you going to high school? <laughs> you know, um, and you're really, you know, obviously this, this is an interesting, it's a critical time, obviously, to be encouraging our children in particular to be proud of their, his their history, to claim their history, to know their history. We are in a moment politically, and I know that this, you know, given your political background as well, I'm sure you you can speak on this far better than I can in terms of the suppression of just facts, right? Just facts about our existence in America, um, as painful as, as some of that history, a lot of that history has been and continues to be. Um, why and and how you know knowing that you know the the, the battle against <laughs> educating children on these matters is is raging as we speak um did that inform how you wrote this book did it um you know become even more crucial that you get this story across i mean i it, so that's a that's a layered question interesting yes question. it is <laughs> um, so it, it was important for me to have 
something for young people to consume to help educate them and the readers thereof, so even their parents. Um, mm -hmm. But I was not a prisoner of the moment in writing the book. Um, I wanted to explore the richness of who we are, not mm -hmm. just the richness of who we are in this moment and having to be, um, you know, um, so um, um, grounded that we don't get caught up in uh, the kind of uh, violence that is consuming our communities, whether or not it's um, mass shootings or whether or not it's race-based violence or whether or not it's just the violent way that we miseducate our children in this country. Mm. Um, I didn't want to get caught up in that. I wanted instead to give a refreshing, um, exciting view about how far we've come and leave uh, the next question of where do we go from here for us to be able to dream about an answer as we go forward. Your people were trailblazers who changed laws and broke records. Today, we stand on their shoulders. I, I love that phrase, a prisoner of the moment. Um, because, like, yeah, moments like these do kind of force us into these boxes, uh, per se. I, I, I assume you are not afraid of your book being banned because it's teaching, I don't know, critical race theory. I, that's a joke. But, well, you know, um, certain, certain people considered it to be CRT, a critical race theory, which is, of course is not. But, um, right. you know, the, I would always journey and tell folk that the best books are the ones that are banned. That's where you need to go to get the richness. Um, you know, so for, would, oh, you're right. Yeah. I would, <laughs> we, you know, we were prepared for anything and they had discussions about, you know, whether or not this book for four to eight year olds would be allowed to be read and you know, you just kind of brush some of those things off. That's fascinating to me. The idea of allowing a child to read a story that asks who your people are like that, that to me, like cuts to the quick of so much of what this, this inane debate is about, um, which is a, a genuine desire to stifle that sense of pride, that sense of self-awareness. Y'all, we're going to take a break, but stay tuned for more Writing Black. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here. Everything you've been waiting for. Black culture amplified. Find your voice on the Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Griot Mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. All right, let's dig back into it. Welcome back to Writing Black. You know, I do want to delve back into your earlier writings because, you know, this is a podcast, not just about books, but about writing in general. Mm -hmm. And you have... Um, I mean, <laughs> what you've done with your writing, I think, is is really, I think, not every, let's put it this way, not everybody's a writer, right? Like, not every, there's some brilliant politicians out there who've written some brilliant books. There's some brilliant attorneys who've written some brilliant books. Not everybody's a writer. Um, what gave you the confidence to kind of pursue this as another outlet, another way of communicating your truth, your family's truth, our truths? Um, I didn't have that confidence, especially mm. throughout the process, uh, because I was turned down to write my vanishing country some 30 times, you know, different wow. publishing houses. Okay. A lot of it was, you know, the type of book I was trying to write, if we're going to keep it 100. I was trying to write a, a book uh, about being a black Southern progressive in the age of Donald Trump. And nobody wanted that book, um, which in hindsight, you see that why would you, if you were publishing house, why would you buy a Bakari Sellers book when you can actually have uh, an, uh, an author 
um, who was somebody right there in the White House who can tell you their first person accounts, et cetera. And so I get it. I don't agree with it, but I get it. Um, and then what gave me the confidence was a young lady named Tracy Sherrod, who was the um, head of Amistad Publishing, um, who sat me down um, for breakfast in New York for a couple of hours and encouraged me to write a memoir, which I questioned her about, which I should not have, of course. Like, why would somebody <laughs> want to buy a memoir from somebody who's, you know, 30 some odd years old? And, you know, it's it's wild because when you write it, you have to put a period at the end of the sentence. You have to stop writing and turn it in. And there's so many things that are going on in the way that you're reacting to it around it. Um, but, um, you know, God works in mysterious ways. It came out on May 19th, which was actually Malcolm X's birthday. Yeah. Um, and then May 25th, uh, George Floyd was murdered and it transformed this country and the globe. Mm -hmm. um, and my vanishing country was there for people to consume. You know, um, that was a very interesting year, I would say, in general for black writers. And, and, you know, we saw a lot of things happen that year, not only people like yourself, who I think it almost felt and maybe maybe this is just a quality that black people who, you know, we have observed and, and absorbed so much. Um, but I, one of the things that was so striking to me about that year, one of the reasons this podcast even exists is because that was a moment where all of a sudden there was this tremendous interest, right? And in, in what we had to say, you know, all these people who had been speaking all this time and we saw books that had been out for years, all of a sudden become national bestsellers. Um, and it was really fascinating. And I, I, I know from my part, you know, wanting to promote uh, those voices, you know, it's been about keeping that momentum going, keeping that conversation going and making sure that it's not, uh, you know, just as you said, uh, that we're not being held prisoner to that particular moment, because that moment for us has been going on for a long since time. we arrived here. Right. right. Um, and you, you know, we you come from uh, not not just the South, but mm -hmm. an incredibly active family. Um, and, you know, we live in a country where we've seen these, you know, political dynasties. You know, you've got your Roosevelt, your Kennedys, your whoever, whoever, whoever. Um, for us, it, it manifests a little bit differently most of the time. And you come from a history of activism and activism and politics don't always get along. So, you know, but when they do, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's magical. So, you know, as you hopefully continue um your your writing career. I don't know if you're planning on, you know, reentering politics. Um, how are you allowing your upbringing to inform that? Oh well, I'm a child of the movement, and so it is everything. It's it's my prism. It's you see it in who are your people. You see it in my vanishing country. I, um, it informs all of those things, and I, you know, I think, and I when I talk to young people in particular, they literally every every college campus asks me about you know, whether or not they should, you know, be that activist who kind of, you know, informs outside of the chambers or whether or not they should be that politician and try to inform inside the chambers. And I think they're both necessary. It's like macaroni and cheese and, and uh, sweet potatoes. I mean, you want, I like my sweet potatoes to touch my macaroni and it makes it just taste that much better. You know, it's a perfect meal. And I think that when those two things um, coincide, the necessity is there. I mean, you need an NAACP, you need a BLM. Um, you need a Julian Bond, you need a Barack Obama, you need all of these individuals to um, play their particular role, whether or not you're throwing rocks from the outside or you're lighting it on fire figuratively inside with your words and your policies. So 
um, I, I want to be able to find that, that cadence or that sound or that rhythm in my writing. And hopefully it shones through. Y'all, we're going to take a break, but stay tuned for more Writing Black. Introducing Dear Culture with Panama Jackson on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Bring your friends for the shenanigans and stay for the edutainment as Panama debates culture wars, Janet Jackson versus Michael, Black Fashions, Black Mendations, and everything black. Listen today on the Grio mobile app for all the black culture conversations you don't want to miss. Also available wherever great podcasts are heard. Okay, we are back with more writing black. Can we talk very like brass tacks about how you get it done? I, you know, sure. people ask those questions all the time. They love to ask those questions, women. How do you get it all done? Um, but you are not, you know, this is not all you do all day. Obviously you are raising a family. You are practicing law. You are doing, you're speaking to people. Um, and now you're writing more books. Um, how is that process for you? Like what it, craft wise, like what does it take for you? How do you, how do you get it done? How do you allocate to time organizationally? How does it work? Uh, give us a little, a little of the grind there. Well, the grind is real. I mean, just <laughs> I'll answer the question by one, just first describing the grind. Just last week I was in, um, I was in uh, Scottsdale, Phoenix area on Sunday and Monday. Um, working with a young man named Jevin Hodge, who's running for Congress, and I was campaigning with him, shaking hands and fresh and flesh and, you know, trying to change the, the contours of the, of the country politically. Um, on Tuesday night, I was back in Richland County, South Carolina, near home, um, giving a, a speech on conversations about race with my father, and it was just a unique opportunity to be able to have that conversation. It was a speaking gig. It just happened to be at home, but I left on 8.30 that evening. Um, which was Tuesday night and, and flew to Orlando. And Wednesday morning, I gave a speech to about 4,000 teachers. Thursday uh, morning, I was on a CBC panel with Chantel Brown and Congressman Troy Carter and many others. Caught a flight on Thursday and Friday. I was in New York um, doing TV Thursday night and Friday night. And then I came home for a while and then sun Saturday night went back to D.C. to do TV on Sunday morning. And so the answer to your question is prioritizing because my wife and my children come first in, in that order. I think that's important. Um, making sure that you give as much time to your wife as you possibly can. Um, she's the partner. She's the strength. She's the person who allows you to do these other things and loving on your kids as much as possible. And I have a 17-year-old and I have three-year-old twins. Mm -hmm. um, you know, therapy is always good because of the way that the world um, can, you know, can be filled with pressure and angst and anxiety. And I have anxiety, I have really bad anxiety. So being able to find somebody who can help you navigate those things. And it's not the worry of performance. I love, I mean, speaking in front of a crowd or on TV isn't that, but you know, it's the fear of death and the fear of um, failure. And those two things, you don't wanna die before you can be considered a success. Those two things kind of mm -hmm. coincide. Um, and when you are doing projects like this, the, the kind of the, the, um, the underlying way in which the product is processed is through discipline. And so um, with the children's book, I, I find the rhythm that I want to be in usually is listening to an outcast or something quite similar to J. Cole, and it puts me in that rhythm. But with the adult book, I sit down for 15 minutes a day, either you know dictating my thoughts or writing some thoughts. Sometimes no thoughts come out. Sometimes that 15 minute turns into two hours. Um, sometimes it's 15 minutes in one second, and I got to get up. Um, 
but it's that discipline and dedication to the process. And then at the end of the day, you just pray that your product is received well. Y'all, we're going to take a break, but stay tuned for more Writing Black. Introducing Dear Culture with Panama Jackson on the Griot Black Podcast Network. Bring your friends for the shenanigans and stay for the edutainment as Panama debates culture wars, Janet Jackson versus Michael, black fashions, black mendations, and everything black. Listen today on the Griot mobile app for all the black culture conversations you don't want to miss. Also available wherever great podcasts are heard. All right, let's dig back into it. Welcome back to Writing Black. You know, I have to thank you for, um, I mean, you've been transparent about this before, but thank you for mentioning the anxiety piece. I think sometimes when people see uh, someone like you, <laughs> someone like me even, you know, when you're out there, you are you have a public face or a platform or many platforms in your case, um, they don't necessarily associate that with anxiety. You know, they don't they don't necessarily think, that you struggle in that way or that that kind of that kind of doubt that I, I know as well, because I also <laughs> I also suffer from I can't say suffer from anxiety. I experience anxiety. I am treated for anxiety. So I uh, I have profound empathy for that. And I really appreciate you bringing it up. And especially I think as writers, it's one of those things. I mean, the, the, the phrase writer's block exists for a reason. And I know for myself, it's generally weighted down by some sort of crippling uh, doubt or insecurity yeah. about what, what am I saying? What am I putting out? How am I going to get it out? Um, do you think that, would you say that, that the discipline itself is the coping mechanism there or is there another coping um, mechanism that you use in those moments? Well, I mean, the therapy and meditation are always in music, um, you know, in food, I mean, you know, those <laughs> kind of get you through, but it's the, the discipline is the key because it, le- it allows you to realize that there's tomorrow. So, yeah. You know, it, allevi- it alleviates until there's no tomorrow, until the publisher's like, it's due tomorrow, then you got a whole other thing. But <laughs> throughout, <there>. the process, <laughs> throughout the process, you can sit down and say, you know, I, I just don't have it today. I ain't in the mm. mood. But you sit. Maybe you use that 15 minutes to think about something else. And then it'll click. It, it always does. I mean, it, you're, it, if you are gifted enough to be an author and somebody give you that chance and opportunity, then it, it, it always comes through. I also love that you you talk about this 15 writing in 15 minutes, you know, because I think that's the other thing that, you know, can feed the anxiety beast. You know, this idea that you have to sit down and like pour all your thoughts out and come up with like, you know, some 300 page something, you know, in one fell swoop. And this digestible chunks thing. Right. (laughs) I mean, you know, I always tell folks that uh, and that's partly my anxiety because, you know, I I don't live in five year increments. I live one day at a time. Right. And so I, yeah, I always tell folk, I just try to win today. And so if I do really good in this moment, um, and if I tell somebody that I need them to go work out 60 minutes every day, they're going to be like, man, you are insane. But if I tell you to walk for 15 minutes a day, that is something that we can all do, mm-hmm. right? That is a way that we can get to our goal. That is a way that we can eat a whole elephant one bite at a time. And that's the same way with writing. And it's that discipline that's necessary to get to the end result. And if you're undisciplined, um, then maybe you have, uh, you know, you're maybe that one, maybe that one percent of individual who has an amazing skill set. Uh, you, you you might find yourself being somebody who doesn't have to practice, who doesn't have to have discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're the, the, the other ninety nine point five percent of us, you got to have discipline to enter this process. Y'all, we're gonna take a break, but stay tuned for more writing black. 
Witty, honest, entertaining. Introducing Dear Culture with Panama Jackson on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio mobile app for all the black culture debates you don't want to miss. Also available wherever great podcasts are heard. All right, let's dig back into it. Welcome back to Writing Black. Kind of pulling out to the wide shot here. You know, obviously we hear in this juncture, in this, in this moment in history, um, are finding ourselves, I think, grappling with that same kind of energy. Like, how do we keep our momentum? Um, you know, I mean, I think that's, that's always been kind of part of the narrative of black history in America. Um, when you're out speaking to people, when you are advising young people, talking to uh, other politicians, et cetera, et cetera, how do you suggest we kind of keep this focus in our momentum um, and, you know, on, on, on the, the bigger goal, you know, because we know it's more than just equal rights, right? Yeah. It's, it's another big question. Thank you, Don Lemon, for asking me these big <laughs> questions. And then I have a producer in my ear be like, all right, rap, rap, rap. Oh, like, <laughs> um, first, there's a, there's a great deal of faith that I have in young folk that, you know, every, every ounce of change we've ever had in this country has been because of young people. And I have that faith. I also give them the grace that they deserve. Give myself that grace as well. Um, try not to be too hard on this generation of leaders that is present today, right? They're not the leaders of tomorrow. They're the leaders of today. Um, it's, it's understanding what our struggle looks like. Um, it's understanding that it's not when somebody calls you because that happens every day. But it's about the systemic ills that this country faces. And then this is where sometimes I diverge from some of my friends who are in the movement with me or in the struggle together because I don't, I don't believe there's anything irredeemable about this country. Mm. I think we have to reimagine what she looks like. And so for me, it's about deconstructing these systems and reimagining these systems. Um, and there are people who disagree with that, and that, that's fine, but that's healthy discourse, I do believe. Um, and I think when you approach it in a way as such, I mean, like I told Trevor Noah, I mean, I just try to have faith in tomorrow. Let, let me not be so jaded by reality that I can still have faith in tomorrow. Um, yes, <laughs> all I can say to that is yes. Um, I also want to, you know, thank you. Uh, one of the things you, you did here with Who Are Your People, and, and when we talk about young minds and book bannings and all that craziness, but, <laughs> um, you know, you you do some you've done some subtle things here with your illustrator in terms of inclusion. You know we see same sex couples here. We see, you know we see a broad scope of ages and um, energies. And I, I I think that one of the messages that I hope is eking through more uh, in contemporary discourse. I think it is. Um, but what we know is that you know there's obviously a huge push against it. Is this idea that I think a lot of us fundamentally know that we are, we, a divided house cannot stand. You know what I mean? Like we collectively have to be on the same page um, in terms of making sure that we're bringing everyone along with us. Um, I, t I assume that, you know, that was a very deliberate inclusion in your book, but... Um, yeah, but not many people picked it up. I'm surprised you even <laughs> asked me about it. No, no, <laughs> My producer and I both about. picked it up. <laughs> both of us were uh, like, Ooh. <laughs> The reason you picked it, like, that's pretty cool. Nobody's ever asked me about it. Nobody's picked it up except people who hate the book. And maybe that's because, like, I've had, I've had people, if you go, like, to Amazon, I believe, there's the, one, of the, one of the first comments is talking about that. And I was like, that is kind of... 
unique that you were so offended by that notion that of all the things in the book that jumped out to you the most. And um, um, I'm glad that you all recognize it as such, the inclusivity, the who we are as a community, the bringing in all elements of our community is so important. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I think I, also it struck out, it struck me because with this idea of who are your people, maybe it's because I was engaging with this, I guess, during Pride Month. And so this is maybe top of mind for me. Um, but I was thinking to myself, like, you know, when I think about a lot of my, you know, LGBTQ fam, you know, it's like chosen family. Those are your people, you know, like your people yeah. are who not just the people you were born to, but the people who you choose and who choose you. Right. Um, I just thought that was a really nice, subtle <laughs> statement. Yeah, and, one of the, one of the, and, and one of the thing, and Reggie's brilliant anyway, um, the illustrator, but you know, the greatest, the greatest black writer of all times is James Baldwin. Mm. Like if yep. you don't agree with that, then fight your mom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's, that's some family stuff y'all need to deal with. And you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to be diverse. I wanted to be inclusive. I wanted to be real. And when you have, family gatherings, like in the picture of the picnic and people dancing, then you're going to have your uncles there yes, and it's yes. fine. You know, you're going to have all <laughs> of us. And many times they are the backbone and strength and brilliance of our community, i.e. James Baldwin. So mm -hmm. I, I want it to be that beacon. If I, if, and maybe, and you know, it's also, also a message to the young people to uh, not be afraid right. and to love. Um, and those are, those are messages I definitely wanted to get out. Right. I, I, well, I loved it. I thought it was great. Not too much fact. I, I don't know about y'all, but my uncles are always the most fun at the family reunion and the picnic. <laughs> <laughs> y'all, we're going to take a break, but stay tuned for more Writing Black. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here, and it's everything you've been waiting for. News, talk, entertainment, sports, and today's issues, all from the Black perspective. Ready for real talk and Black culture amplified? Be inspired. Listen to new and established voices now on the Griot Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Griot Mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. All right, let's dig back into it. Welcome back to Writing Black. Okay, so you've mentioned you are working on another children's book and another adult book. Are you willing to give us a bit of a tease of what we can expect next from you? Well, the 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 adult book is is more of a it's not it it it's somewhat of a memoir because okay. it, it talks about my experiences. I'm always very honest, but it's more of a political diagnosis and, and analysis than anything from the perspective of who I am and the light and the, the, my background and the light that I see it through. And so you'll, you'll feel a lot of my father in it. You'll feel Marion Barry in it. You'll feel, you know, Ella Baker and Fannie Lou Hamer in it as we talk about how we get out of this rut of, of where we are. And the children's book is a continuation. Uh, what we're going to try to do is continue. Uh, my, favorite, my favorite page is the last page in the book in which Sadie is president of the United States and Stokely is uh, on Mars. I love those names, by the way, Sadie and Stokely. Oh, yes, Sadie yes. Mays, the, <laughs> former, uh, the wife of Benjamin Elijah Mays and Stokely, of course, at the Stokely Carmichael. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll flesh those things out and see where it leads us. All right. Well, we know you're a big James Baldwin fan. Who else would you recommend? This is a question we ask all of our writers on the show. Who else would you recommend reading? They don't have to be book authors. They can be speech makers. They can be playwrights. You know, I would I, I would say that the best book I've read in the last three years or so. Um, was Cicely Tyson's autobiography, um, the history. And then when you, when you, when you hear Cicely in your ear and your head, 
like and when you know her how how Elliot like she is black girl magic she's black excellent she's all of those things and then you see the words on the page and you you reminisce about her and Miles Davis and you just the history of how she cut all her hair off and was like she just showed up to set one day and was and became the first uh, natural haired black actress all because she just cut her hair off and said y'all gonna deal with me anyway I mean it's just her book was just fascinating um I read a lot of um individuals like um uh, the new dean of the Columbia School of Journalism, Jelani Cobb. Yeah. Um, brilliant, brilliant brother. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think Ibram is one of the greatest writers of our time. Um, I, I like to say that I read Michael Eric Dyson, but I tell him all the time I need a thesaurus and he puts out a book. <laughs> and that, man, that man puts out more books than cash money. <laughs> that is the and best I, comparison I've ever heard on Michael Eric Tyson, who is one of the most, he's really fun to talk to. <laughs> he really is. I'm like, man, it, I can't even appreciate one book and then another book's coming on a wide array of things. <laughs> it reminds me of how Birdman and Slim every other month had a new Cash Money album come out. So um, you know, I just try to consume as much as I can and appreciate. Um, but go out and get Cicely's book. I, I think people would be thoroughly, uh, and I think it would. You guys would appreciate it just as much as I did. I, I endorse that as well. <laughs> but Kari Sellers, thank you so 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 much for joining us on Writing Black and for sharing these um, amazing books with us. Who are your people, uh, guys? Get this for the little people in your life. And I'm looking forward to what you've got coming next. Hopefully, you'll come back and see us. And in the meantime. Have a great time writing black, man. I love that you're bringing yourself to this work. Thank you so much. I know. And let me just say thank you for the work that you are doing. It's so important to us. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Right back at you. Y'all, we're going to take a break, but stay tuned for more writing black. Witty, honest, entertaining. Introducing Dear Culture with Panama Jackson on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio mobile app for all the black culture debates you don't want to miss. Also available wherever great podcasts are heard. All right, let's dig back into it. Welcome back to Writing Black. All right, well, it's time for my favorites. That's right, it's that time in the episode where I share with you my recommendations, typically based on the guests we've had this week, not always, but typically. And, you know, I don't know that a lot of people would have had Bakari Sellers writing a children's book on their bingo card, but really, aside from being a huge industry, children's books have been a major, major draw for some big names as of late. Uh, Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade have written children's books. Uh, Kelly Rowland has children's books. And another children's book that I would recommend um, is Rhiannon Giddens. This is a Grammy award-winning artist. If you're not familiar with her, she's um, she kind of works in the uh, bluegrass country realm. She plays banjo. She's a ridiculous uh, music historian um, who is working in genres, you know, from ballet to film and back again, um, as well as, you know, her own recording career. And she's written this book called Build a House, and it is based on our history here in America. So I think as a companion piece to Who Are Your People, um, this is a really, a, a really great one to share with little people. Um, I'm also a huge fan of this book because this is a podcast about black writers and really 
inherently black readers. Um, I, I love this book by Tiffany Rose called Dear Reader. Um, you see this? See that? That's me as a kid. That pretty much book all the time. Um, and that's why I love this because it really talks about the worlds that can be open to um, children and particularly children who look like us through the world of books. So as the holiday season approaches and you're looking for things to share with the littlest readers in your life or those that you hope to encourage to read, I'm going to recommend these two among many others out there. There's so much great content out there now. So, you know, stay tuned to this space and, uh, you know, we'll tell you more people who are writing black for little, little black people. As always, thank you for listening to Writing Black. You can listen to us on the Grio app or wherever you find your podcasts. Introducing Dear Culture with Panama Jackson on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Bring your friends for the shenanigans and stay for the edutainment as Panama debates culture wars, Janet Jackson versus Michael, Black Fashions, Black Mendations, and everything black. Listen today on the Grio mobile app for all the black culture conversations you don't want to miss. Also available wherever great podcasts are heard.